We're brought here today by the love that Sarah and Davis have for each other. I can't believe I get to marry him. We're perfectly compatible in every way. Yeah, she just gets me, man. Someone to talk to all night long. Someone to talk to all night long. Early morning jogs. Sleeping in late. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll spend the holidays with my parents. We'll have one well-behaved daughter. We'll have four or five little dudes running around. He'll help me pay off my debt. I should probably tell her about all my debt. Is that important? We'll share a bank account. Obviously, we're gonna share a Facebook account. <laughs> do I need a friend my in-laws? Someone to do my laundry. Someone to do my laundry. Double income. Stay at home, dad. Meal planning, of course. Take out. The city. The burbs. Mission trip. Ski trip. Blue. Red. Cat. Dog. Fries. Rings. Potato. Potato. Minivan. Motorcycle. Two words. Finished basement. Two words. Man cave. Ah, oh, he's so smart. Do you think that birds wish that they had hands? We're going to be so happy. We'll be so happy. I'm gonna crush it at being a husband. So the uh, ladies are thinking, finally, a relationship series. The men are thinking, I was just starting to like this guy. <laughs> so ladies, a couple things, uh, just the stereotype just a bit. Um, ladies, men, that sort of get us all on the same page, men think of relationships the way that most of you, not all of you, but that most of you think about a car, okay? We don't wanna work on it, we just want it to work. So when you say, hey, let's talk about our relationship, I'm so glad we're having this relationship series, or maybe we can talk after the message. When, when you say, let's talk about our relationship, um, here's what we hear. We hear there's something wrong with us and you know how to fix it. And we remember when we were little boys, our dads disappeared um, with our pets to go get them fixed. And then they brought them back and they had a big plastic cone over their head. And so we don't really wanna be fixed. That just, that just conjures up all kinds of horrible memories. Ladies, when you, when you say, let's talk about it, let's work on it, let's talk about the relationship. It, it reminds me of sometimes when Sandra and I are driving somewhere and I'm driving and I hear a noise in my truck and I'm like, I turn down the radio. I'm like, do you hear that rattle, that knock? She's like, no, I'm going, listen real carefully. And she's trying, I'm like, I, there it is, there it is. Next thing you know, she's driving and I'm in the back seat trying to find, you know, that, what's wrong, you know, that rattle, that, that noise in the back of the truck. And she's like, you know, good grief, can we just not turn up the radio, you know? Or maybe ladies, your situation, if you're married, you look out and your husband's got the hood up and he's looking under the hood or you got in the garage, he's got the hood up and you're thinking, he doesn't even know anything about cars. Or you drive over to see your boyfriend and instead of in his apartment, he's out in the parking lot and the hood's up and you're, you say, is, 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 is something wrong with your car? And he says, no, I'm, I'm just checking. I'm just kind of looking around, just checking. And ladies, you, you're thinking, look, as long as it's not broken down on the side of the road, do you really need to check it? To which we say, aha, that's the way we feel about relationships. If the, bro if the relationships are not broken down on the side of the road, do we really need to talk about it? And the answer is, yes, we do. So for four weeks, we're gonna talk about relationships. Relationships as it relates to singles moving into a special relationship. You're in that special relationship. You're engaged. You're uh, newlywed. You've been married for a while. We're going to encompass all of those for four weeks. 
Today's the first week, and if this is your first time with us, the first time watching or the first time in one of our series, today's the introduction, so I'm gonna sort of set the table, create the tension. There's not gonna be a lot of Bible study, so if this is your first time with us and you think, do they never talk about the Bible in their church, come back next week. We're gonna look at one of the most fantastic relationship statements of any literature anywhere, and it's found in the New Testament, so you don't wanna miss next week. But today, I simply wanna highlight the tension, describe the tension, and hopefully give you some handles to talk about some things that maybe you've tried to talk about in the past and it just didn't go all that well. When it comes to relationships, when it comes to relationships, all of us have a box, an invisible box of hopes, dreams, and desires. If you're single and not dating anybody, this is a very undefined box. The things in this box are very undefined for you. But as you move into a relationship or as you think about moving toward a significant relationship, these become more defined. You have some hopes, you have some dreams, you have some wishes, you have some desires as it relates to a future relationship. If you're engaged, hopefully you've already talked about what is in your box and you've heard from your fiance what, you know, what's in their box. If you're married, if you're married, you should definitely know what's in your spouse's box. And some of you do, and some of you don't, which is part of the problem. But we all have hopes, dreams, and desires. Um, when we think about the future, we all have some hopes, dreams, and desires as it relates to this stuff right here. Money, you know, we're gonna have a lot of money, or we don't need a lot of money, or, you know, love will keep us alive. Um, two, we have double income, but I'm gonna save all of mine, or we're gonna have a single income. I'm gonna be a stay-at-home mom. I'm gonna be a stay-at-home dad. Maybe we'll just have so much money we can both just Stay at home. We're gonna have a budget. We're not gonna have a budget. A budget sounds like allowance. I've never had, I don't wanna start getting allowance again. So you have all these ideas, but you have some expectations. You have some hopes and dreams as it relates to your financial future. Um, when Sandra and I got married, she had this little saying and I, I didn't catch on for a long time. And she would say this thing and really years in, it finally dawned on me, wait, wait a minute, that doesn't even make any sense. She would say this. She would say, well, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. And I think because I showed up in the equation, I fell for it. I'm like, well, we're both in there. But, but wait a minute. So you have some ideas. You have some hopes. You have some dreams. You have some wishes. You have some ideas about if you, ever, if you get together and if you um, fall in love and get married someday, somehow all the chores are going to get done. And you think about how it happened in the family or family of origin. Or you think about the way that should happen or the way you dream about that happen. You're going to live in some sort of thing. You're going to rent. You're going to lease. You're going to purchase. Um, you're going to keep driving the sports car forever. Um, maybe you'll talk him or talk her into trading her sports car for something, you know, more practical. Um, you probably, when you think about your future, you want to, th you want to have a, a child. If you're an only child, you're thinking, I'd like, I don't want my own, I don't want to have an only child. I want to have some children. Um, but we, if I have two girls, we're going to keep going until we get a boy. <laughs> and why not just have a basketball team? So you've got some hopes and dreams as it relates, relates to those things, right? Um, you've got some, you got a mental picture of what scheduling, you know, in a relationship's gonna be like, how we spend our discretionary time, our free time. I get to spend time with my friends. You spend time with your, free, your friends. No, we spend all of our time together. No, I don't want you to meet my friends. I mean, there's, there's, you know, hopes and dreams and expectations as it relates to time. And then there's hopes and dreams as it relates to the calendar. And this was a big um, discussion for us too, because Sandra, she was so fair. She said, I only want three holidays and your family can have all the rest. She said, I'll take, our family will take, uh, we'll spend Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter with my family. <laughs> and you can have, you get Halloween, 
Groundhog Day, and she gave our family Festival of the Souls. She was so generous. And something about that she was 16th Choctaw Indian or something, how that was special. And I realized that's like a Japanese thing that has something to do with emperor worship. But anyway, so, but you, you sort of have a picture of how all of that's, you know, these are, this is how it's all gonna work out. This is how, you know, we're gonna kind of live the dream. And then, um, you know, there's travel. We'll travel a lot. We're gonna travel all around the world. No, we're gonna keep it in the United States. There's enough to see here. Maybe we just stay in the state of Georgia. No, we're gonna travel all over. All over. There's, you know, hopes and dreams as it relates to that. And this is, um, you know, every guy, um, has some idea of what he hopes and dreams that his wife <laughs> will not wear to bed. And, and she's thinking, but you know, he just wants me to be comfortable. He doesn't care. He accepts me just the way I am. He's gonna accept me just the way I am, that those sorts of things won't even matter. And then of course there's conflict resolution, you know, because you gotta, you know, you gotta resolve conflict in a marriage and, um, or in a relationship. You know, initially there's conflict in just about every relationship. And so the expectation is, or the thought is, well, we'll just talk it all out, get everything out on the table and just be completely honest. I mean, we'll just be just extremely honest with each other so we can work through things and, Maybe somebody else is thinking, no, 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 that, 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 that's how you hurt people's feelings. You don't say everything that's true. You just make sure that what you say is true. One person says, will you raise your voice? I grew up in a family where we raised our voice, we yelled and screamed, but we got it all out and we were all good at the end. No, we don't, we don't raise our voices because raising our voices is insensitive. So we're, we're just gonna, you know, that's not how you resolve, that's not how we're gonna resolve conflict. And then God, some guys are thinking, conflict resolution? Kind of thought that's what sex was for. Um, then there's this big one that I don't even have uh, something to, visit, to illustrate it. And that's basically, how are we gonna treat each other? How are we going to, how am I gonna behave toward him? How, wh how is she gonna behave toward me? How am I gonna behave when? What do I expect? I, 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 you know, my husband or my fiance, my, my girlfriend, she's never gonna say, she's never gonna use this term. She's never gonna threaten. I mean, there's just an expectation. You may have never defined it. In fact, I think most people don't. But you have a pretty clear expectation about how you will be treated in this very, very significant relationship. If she loves me, he would never. If he loves me, he'll never. Now, there are several things that impact what we put in our hopes, dreams, and desires box. And we all have a box. There are several things that impact that. One of, one of the things that impact that is what we've seen and what we've heard. What you've seen maybe in other relationships, um, what you've seen modeled, what you saw with the folks next door, what you've read, um, what you've seen, what you've seen in culture. But primarily, the thing that impacts what we put in our box is really what we've experienced. And for many of us, it's what we experienced in the home we grew up in. That our hopes and our dreams and our desires, and this is such a big deal, and it's complicated and it's emotional, but most of our hopes, dreams, and desires are a response to what we grew up in and what we grew up around. We are either trying to avoid something or we're trying to recreate something. We're trying to avoid something that, you know, oh my gosh, you know, my relationship's not gonna be like that. I'm not gonna be like my dad. I'm not gonna be like my mom. We're not gonna have that kind of relationship. We're either, we either put in our box things that help us avoid something, or you grew up in a situation where it's like, wow, that's exactly what I want. And maybe it wasn't your parents. Maybe your older brother or sister has like a fabulous relationship and you're like, that's the kind of relationship I wanna have. I'm not simply trying to avoid something. I'm trying to repeat something. I'm trying to recreate something. 
But even in those situations where we are trying to recreate something great, even in those ideal situations where we're trying to recreate something that's healthy, that's worth recreating, in the middle of all of this is me. Because these are my hopes, and these are my dreams, and these are my desires. And at some point in the relationship, and I, you know, we don't even know when this is happening. This is why I just sort of want to put some visuals with this so we can think about it in sort of concrete, tangible ways. At some point in the relationship, while you're dating, once you get engaged, maybe at the altar, maybe a month after you're married, maybe a year after you're married, at some point along the way, we can't help ourselves. We essentially take our box of hopes, dreams, and desires, and we say, here, make them come true. Make them come true. This is what I always dreamed it would be like. This is what I hoped it would be like. The reason I pursued you, the reason I asked you out, the reason I said yes when you asked me out, the reason I asked you to marry me, the reason I said yes when you asked me to marry, the reason that I walked down the aisle with you is because in my mind, this is what the future looks like. And I need you to come through for me. But the challenge is, and the problem is, and the tension comes, when we hand somebody our box of hopes, dreams, and desires, it doesn't feel like hopes, dreams, and desires to them, does it? To them, it feels like expectations. To them, it feels like a weight. To them, it feels like the bar has been raised. To them, it feels like a homework assignment. To them, it feels like a responsibility. To them, it feels like if they don't come through, you might be disappointed with them. Expectations are simply this, a strong desire, or a strong belief rather, that something will happen. Now it may not happen in the first month, may not happen in the first year, but you know, one day we'll get there, aren't we honey? Won't we will get there one day, won't we? The strong belief that something will happen or that it will be the case in the future. I mean, it's not our dream home, but we're working toward that. I mean, he hasn't gotten rid of that yet, but he will. She hasn't changed her mind yet, but she will. We haven't gotten there yet, but, but we will. Won't we, won't we, won't we? It's the strong belief that something will happen or will be the case in the future. But the problem is this, and you're smart enough to know this, I'm just putting words around things perhaps you've thought and perhaps have felt, that attempting to recreate, attempting to recreate or avoid something from the past, anytime we attempt to recreate or avoid something from the past, it transforms hopes, dreams, and desires into expectations. So even in the best of relationships, even in the most ideal relationships, even when the best fall down sometime, even when the wrong words seem to rhyme, out of the doubt that fills my mind, I somehow, I'm so confused that this happened, I somehow find, we somehow find, what? That you and I, what? Collide. collide. That's right. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> and here's the thing. When eyes collide, you know, it's not really a you and I collide, it's eyes collide. And when eyes collide, we swap boxes. I give you mine, you give me yours. And what was intangible and ethereal and hopeful and dreamy, and I've spent years thinking about this and I've always envisioned it would be this way, suddenly it's a burden to someone and you're handed their burden, their expectations as well. Now, when eyes collide, we do one of five things. And I wanna talk about the first four today for just a few minutes. When eyes collide, we do one of four things. The most extreme thing is we leave. 
We just say, you know what? That's not what I had in mind. That's not what I bargained for. I didn't know. You didn't tell me. You weren't honest. You didn't make it clear. I, that's not what I signed up for. You changed the rules. You know, you switched gears. You switched lanes. You switched horses. I, this is just is not what I signed up for. I can't carry this expectation. I can't meet this expectation. I'll never live up to what you want me to live up to. This will never be a reality for us. And I don't want to live with the pressure. I can't take the pressure. And so I'm out of here. And do you know what you do when you leave? <laughs> you pick up your box of hopes, dreams, and desires, and you cart it off to the next relationship. Second thing we do if we don't leave is we win. A lot of us just want to win. In every relationship, there's generally a stronger personality. Not always, but oftentimes the case, that's the case. And in those situations, oftentimes one person powers up and they win. They leverage what I call the four C's to an unsatisfying and dysfunctional relationship. You know what those are? The four C's, I'll show them to you real quick. Here, if you wanna have a terrible relationship, here is the prescription right here. You convince, you convict, you control, and you coerce. You convince, you know what we convince? We say, now look, I realize, I realize, you know, this is how you thought it should be, but you're wrong. I realize this is how you always, you know, dealt with conflict in your family, but let me tell you how it's gonna be. I realize you always dreamed about, I, I know, but see, honey, you have the wrong box. See, yours is the bad box, mine is the good box. My box is how the world works. This is the rational way to do it. This is the right way to do it. If you'll just trust me and live the life that I want you to live and become more like me, you'll be happier. Because aren't people always happier when they try to become like someone else? Of course. Is it, don't we always become happier when we throw away and abandon who we are and who God created us to be in order to conform to the image of our partner? Of course, it is a recipe for happiness. So honey, if you will just abandon everything in your box and embrace mine, it'll all work out. And you convince and you convict. You convict because you make them feel guilty. It's like, okay, I don't want to be critical, but that's just kind of dumb. Okay, I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be critical, but did that work out for your parents? No, so we're not gonna do it that way. I, I don't, I don't wanna you know, you know, judge you or judge your family, but just, I mean, they're a wreck. So no, we're not gonna do it that way. And we control and we coerce. And at the end of the day, here's the interesting thing. The winner, the winner is happy. The winner's happy. In fact, they're always grinning. I mean, life is great. They're living out their dream and they've got somebody to help them live out their dream and they can't quite figure out what's wrong with her and what's wrong with him, but he's coming along. He's doing a lot better. You know, just pray because I'm happy because, you know, we got two people working out of my box, right? And they ultimately and eventually conform to the image of your box, which of course, this is the correct box. This is the right way to do things. So the third response is just the flip side to the person or the opposite to the person who wins. The third response is we're the conformer. We become somebody we're not to compensate for somebody who won't love us. We become somebody we're not to compensate for someone who will not accept us as we are. We, we, we abandon who we are in order to embrace what makes another person happy regardless of whether or not it works for us and works with us. We just basically conform. And conforming works for a while. It really works for the person who won, but it works for the person who conformed as well because the temperature goes down in the relationship. You know, the, the, the tension goes down in the relationship. As long as she's happy, I'll just deal with it. As long as he's happy, I'll just deal with it. It's not my dream, it's not my hope, it's not what I'd wish for, it's not what I'd expected. But you know what, if he's happy, if she's happy, I'll just deal with it. But in the end of the day, 
At the end of the day, when somebody in a relationship is simply giving up who they are to become somebody that they're not, at the end of the day, they lose respect for their partner and their partner loses respect for them. And then the fourth response is the most common response. We just compromise. In fact, I think for many people, they think this is the goal. This is, this is the win. This is how you stay married. You just compromise. And perhaps you saw this with your parents. Your parents weren't unhappy. They weren't real happy. They just, they just got along. They just worked it out. Or maybe you've even said, you know, my parents, they eventually, they just kind of figured it out. Because in the compromised marriage, I'm gonna do my part and you do your part. And I'm gonna keep an eye on you to make sure you do your part. And I know you're watching me to make sure I do my part. When in a compromised marriage, there's scorekeeping. Everybody's keeping score, everybody's keeping record. It's a bit contractual, you know, we, we didn't we agree this year was my year with my family, next year's your year with your, don't even bring up next year because we've already decided, I don't care what's happening, I know your father's sick, that's tough, but it's my, you know, we're gonna, just kidding, we're gonna be with my family no matter what because we, come on, we already decided. We've already worked this out. And this kind of relationship, whether it's a dating relationship, engaged relationship, marriage relationship, there's low trust. In fact, the trust continues to get lower and lower and lower. And where there's low trust, there's low intimacy. And here's why. You cannot be actually intimate with anyone you're not willing to fully give yourself to, and you will not fully give yourself to someone you don't completely trust. In fact, you can't give yourself fully to someone you don't completely trust. If you're single and you wanna know the secret to great sex and marriage, it has nothing to do with sex. It has nothing to do with anything physical. It has everything to do with intimacy. And intimacy is tied to trust. And in a relationship that's characterized by any of these things, and maybe perhaps especially to this one, something begins to happen. I mean, there's still, it's still physical, but it's not amazing. It's not intimacy because everybody is a little bit on guard lest they be taken advantage of. And it's ultimately very unfulfilling. It'll work. You can go the distance. You can end your life together, but there's a better way. And the other thing about compromise is this. this. And this is a subtle thing. At the end of the day, a compromised relationship is fueled by a commitment to the wrong thing. And this sounds bad when I say it, but we'll talk about it. It's actually fueled by a commitment to the relationship. In fact, you may have said this before, or you've heard someone say this before. They might, you've heard somebody say, I'm committed to my marriage, I'm committed to my marriage, and, and this sounds good, but nobody marries a marriage. I'm committed to my marriage. I, I married a marriage and I'm committed to my marriage. Sounds good, but nobody marries a marriage. Nobody dates a relationship. Nobody is engaged to a relationship. There is another name in the equation. And I'll tell you the first time I, I bumped into this, we had not been married for very long. Sandra and I had not been married for very long. Um, we were with a couple and they were older than us and they were doing good, you know, it was all right, you know, we're kind of getting along. And, you know, they kept saying, you know, marriage is hard, marriage is this and marriage is that. I'm like, ours isn't, ours isn't fun right now. You're ruining it. Is this what we have to look forward to? Thank you for sharing, you know? And, and at some point in the conversation, one of them said, uh, talked about being committed to their marriage. We got in the car, we were driving home. I said, and I, this was years ago, and I'm sure I did not say this near as eloquently as I'm going to try to say it now. Because, you know, early on in marriage, you kind of say the right things the wrong way and the wrong things sometimes come out the right way and you get more credit than you deserve. And I think this was one of those conversations. And what I was trying to say to Sandra is this. I said, honey, 
I don't really want you to be committed to our marriage. I want you to be committed to me. And you know what? I, I don't want our relationship to devolve to the level to where I'm just committed to marriage. I mean, you could be anybody. I'm just committed to marriage. Just put anybody in the marriage I'm committed to. No, I, I hope you always feel like beyond being committed to marriage, I'm committed to you, the person. Because being committed to my marriage or to say, I want my marriage to work or I want my relationship to work, once again, who's in the middle of all that? It's me. It's about my marriage and my future and my reputation and my kids growing up with two parents in the home. It's all about me. And this is not a bad thing. In fact, if you only get this far and you finish together, that's good. I mean, being for marriage is better than being against marriage, right? And wanting your marriage to be a good marriage is certainly better than not wanting your marriage to be a good marriage, but there's something beyond that because there is another face and there is another name. There is another person in the equation besides you. And at the end of the day, this will work, but it's not all that much fun and it's not all that fulfilling. So when eyes collide, when eyes collide, we leave, we try to win, we conform, or perhaps we compromise. But when eyes collide, for sure, we loses. Now, as I said, there's another option. And the fifth option is what happy couples know. And we're gonna spend next week the entire time talking about that fifth option, which is a little frustrating, but we're gonna get to it next week. And it's so powerful and it's so wonderful and it's so amazing, we're gonna spend the entire time on it. But for the next few minutes, I wanna frame the problem in a way that'll help you and help us understand exactly where we're headed for the next few weeks. Because I would imagine nothing I've said thus far is unique or you've never heard it before. Maybe I've just put some different terms on a dynamic that you're experiencing now or that you don't wanna experience in the future. Or maybe you experienced in a previous relationship and it's like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what was going on. I just, you know, I just didn't have the visual aids to, you know, to illustrate it. So let me frame this one more time in a little bit different way and we'll wrap this up. Expectations, expectations create in any relationship, in any relationship, expectations create a debt-debtor relationship. In other words, whenever I put all my hopes, wishes, and dreams on you and expect you to do something for them, in that moment, I live under, this, I live under the um, assumption that now you owe me. See, you now, I, I've committed my life to you, committed your life to me, or we're moving toward committing our lives to each other, which means these are my hopes, dreams, and desires. And now that I'm handing them to you, this is what you owe me. You are in debt to me. You owe me attention. You owe me to fully resolve the conflict. You owe it to me to make sure that I enjoy how we do the calendar and the money and the travel and everything else. You owe me affection. You owe me to pay the bills. You owe me to provide for me. You owe me to make sure the house is clean. You owe me to stay fit, to stay in shape. You owe me patience. You owe it to me to play with the kids the you know, allotted amount of time. You owe kids to me. You owe me clean socks. You, you owe me and I owe you. And even though both of us are in debt to each other, it creates a debt-debtor relationship, which is not what God ultimately had in mind when he put the first man and the first woman together. See, that, it boils down to this. That's what you're supposed to do. I mean, that's what a man does. I mean, that's what my father did. That's what a woman's supposed to do. That's what my mom did. That's what, you know, that's what men are supposed to do. That's what wives are supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. Now, here's a question for you, and I know you, you know the answer. How much gratitude, because this is a big part of the equation, this is a big part of the tension. How much gratitude 
How much gratitude do you express to people who pay you what they owe you? How much gratitude do you express to people who do what they're supposed to do? Who, who give what they're supposed to give? Who simply provide the service they're supposed to provide? I mean, how much gratitude do you express to the person that sort of meets the minimum requirement or at least does what you, know, you contractually decided they're gonna do? How much gratitude do you express to that person? The answer is minimal, minimal. We rarely express gratitude for what we've come to expect. Now, here's the tricky part about being with the same person for many, many, many years. In every relationship, in every marriage, you get into a routine, which is fine. You have to have routines. In every relationship, there are roles, not assigned roles because there's some rules that say men always and women always, not that kind of role. But in the context of your particular relationship, there will be certain responsibilities and certain roles that will be fulfilled by each person in the relationship. That's just the way the world works. That's a good thing. But when you or when I come to expect from someone what they've always done, when it comes down to me expecting Sandra to do what Sandra's always done, the gratitude is going to be minimal, which, which communicates this is what I expect all along. I'm not going to thank you when you do it, but I'm going to ask you when you don't. I'm not gonna say, wow, I'm surprised, thank you for doing that, even though you do it every single day or every single Thursday or every single, you know, whatever the routine is. But, but I, if I don't, if I get so accustomed to that, that I come to expect it, then I quit express, expressing gratitude for it. Because Here, here's what gratitude is, this, and, and, and this is something you can start today. Gratitude is, wow, I didn't expect that. Okay, what do you mean you didn't expect it? I fix your lunch every morning. I know. Every morning you fix my lunch and you hand it to me and I'm surprised every morning because I do not expect you to do this every morning. I know, but I've done it every morning for the last three years. I know. But every morning I am as grateful as I was the first time because when I take that lunch, I don't expect it tomorrow. Thank you. Gratitude says I didn't expect that and I'm grateful for it. I'm telling you, this is how you supercharge and this is how you fuel healthy relationships because gratitude is an indication I've not filled up a box full of expectations. The other thing about this whole debt-debtor thing that, that is so insidious and again, you don't see it happening, you just wake up one day and you ask yourself, you know, what's wrong and how do we get here and, and why isn't it the way it used to be? That a debt-debtor relationship eliminates, and this is, this is interesting, a debt-debtor kind of relationship, it actually eliminates the possibility. It eliminates the possibility of unconditional love. Because if you owe me, you can't love me. In fact, owe me eliminates love me. If I owe you flowers, I mean, if I owe Sandra flowers, it's, well, it's Valentine's, you know, we're the flowers. Here's the flowers. All right, well, we're back to zero. I made it. Well, it's my birthday, where's the card and the gift? I got the card and the gift. Well, thank you. Or if it's the other way around, well, it's Christmas, you know, where, where, where's my gift? Oh, we're back to zero. If, if I owe you, I can't love you because love requires margin. Love does not do well in an environment of expectation. In an environment of expectation, it's almost impossible to recognize love. In fact, expectations, we'll put this next screen up here. Expectations actually remove the margin necessary to love for love to be recognized and appreciated. You can't even see it when it's happening. Why? Because 
it's what I expected. It's what I'm accustomed to. It's what I'm used to. She always does. He always does. My father always did. My mother always did. It's what women are supposed to do. It's what men are supposed to do. It's what couples are supposed to do. It's a supposed to do thing. And he's meeting the expectation. She's meeting the requirement. So why would I be overwhelmed with gratitude? And you've eliminated, this is a powerful thought, you've eliminated the potential for love to even be recognized or expressed. And this is why a box full of expectations undermines intimacy in a relationship. Because this feels like pressure every single day of the week. If I meet your expectations, we're back to even but I can't ever do enough to make you feel like I love you. And in fact, it doesn't feel like I ever do enough because there's always something more you're expecting. That's no way, that's no way to live. And the good news is you don't have to live that way. And you know how I know? Because I know happy couples and I know something happy couples know. And I'm gonna tell you next week. So. Here, here's the question, okay? A couple of questions, a couple of questions, all right? Put all these back over here where they belong. Here, here's the question. What should we do? What should we do with our hopes, dreams, and our desires? What should we do with them? I mean, do we just pretend? I never wanted children. You know, I don't care how we spend our time. I have no vision at all. We don't even have to live indoors. It doesn't matter to me, you know. It's okay if we never leave the city limits, you know. I don't care what I drive, I'll do all the work. You know, who needs money? Love will keep us alive. We don't need any of that. I mean, what, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you do with all of this? Ignore them? No, deny them? No, for some of you, you've spent years filling up this box. And you know what? Much of what is in this box is good things. In fact, it's probably all good things. In fact, some of these things stem from the fact that you bear the image of God. But what do we do with this? Just feel guilty about it? Pretend, hide, ignore, lie? The short answer is you keep them in this box, which leads to the next question. How do you do that? How do I keep this stuff here and not put it over there and hand it to the person that I wanna spend the rest of my life with? How do I keep these things in the box? <laughs> and the short answer to that question is the correct answer to this next question. And this next question will bother you. And it'll bother you because you know the answer to this question. This is something that happy people know. This is not intuitive. This make you, may make you run for the hills. But this is a game-changing idea, and I certainly didn't originate it. The best way to keep hopes, dreams, and desires in the hopes, dreams, and desires box and out of the expectation box is to ask this question. What do they owe you? What do they owe you? What do they owe you. And happy couples know that the answer to this question is nothing. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything, but are not owed anything in return, which doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to say it again. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything, but they're not owed anything in return. It doesn't make any sense. But let me tell you about the happiest couples you know. There's something about them that doesn't make any sense. It's true. They go through hard times and they're happy. It doesn't make any sense. 
They're not like fabulous, incredible, talented, rich people, and they're just happy, and that doesn't make any sense. And, and they, some of them have a lot of kids, and some of them weren't able to have kids, and they're happy, and it just doesn't make any sense. There's something about extraordinarily happy couples that's always a mystery, and I'm telling you what part of the mystery is. They live every day under the assumption that they owe each other everything, and they don't expect anything in return. Now, Christians, Christians, and I think many, many happy couples leverage a very, very Christian principle, but happy, you know, happy Christian couples, they take their cue from Jesus' one all-encompassing command. When Jesus was at the end of his ministry years, he, he got his guys together and he said, now look, when we started off together, there were 630-something Jewish commands. I reduced them down to two. Now, right before I go, I'm gonna reduce them down to one. So John, write this down, because you're only gonna have to remember one thing. Ready, John? Here we go. Here's what he said. As I have loved you, you're to love one another. In the old days, it was do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Okay, those days are gone. This is better. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And then the Apostle Paul comes along after that and he takes Jesus' overarching single new command and he applies it to all kinds of relationships and all kinds of situations. And one of the things that he applies it to, one of the relationships he applies it to is the relationship of marriage. So next week, we're gonna look at how Paul takes Jesus' overarching command and applies it to marriage. But here's another statement the Apostle Paul made as he teased out this overarching, you know, one marching order command that Jesus left his followers with. Here's what he wrote, I love this. He said to all Christians everywhere, he said, walk in the way of love to which we think of a love song or our, you know, our girlfriend or somebody that we love. He goes, no, no, I'm not done yet, okay. Walk in the way of love just as, and throughout Paul's teaching, this is so powerful, throughout Paul's teaching, you see these two words. Because Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, at every, in every relationship, in every situation, we take our cue from our Savior. So I want you to walk in the way of love. What does that look like? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And Christian men and Christian women and Christian couples take this idea and they drop it into the center of their relationship and to, to, into the center of this dynamic with all the potential tension. And when they do, marriage begins to look like a submission competition, a race to the back of the line, which sounds miserable, which is why so few try it but those who do enjoy it. It's one of the things that happy couples know. Now, we're gonna pick it up right there next week, but I wanna give you two pieces of homework. They're both just thought homework. In fact, if you're with your fiance or your significant other, your husband or your wife, I would encourage you, I would highly encourage you not to talk about the sermon today. Okay, don't talk about the sermon today. Because you're like, oh, we can't wait. Let's take the long way home, long way home, you know. Let's go wait in line. Listen, don't do that, okay? My questions have nothing to do with your partner or your spouse or your significant other. This is a you question. And here are my two questions. The first one is this. What's in your box? You should know the answer to that. You, you, you should know. One of the reasons you accidentally apply pressure to the person you love is because you're not clear about what's in here and it's not clear to them and it's a fog and it's confusing and they're constantly trying to know how high to jump and how low to duck and it's just not clear. What's in your box? You should know that. You should maybe write it down. If you're single and not even in a relationship, you should start thinking about this question because eventually you're gonna bring a box to somebody. You just are, we, we, we just do. 
And the second question is this, and this is maybe the more important question. Are you expecting someone to carry it around for you? Have you handed this off? intentionally or unintentionally? Is somebody living with the extra weight and the extra pressure that they were not designed to live, that they were not designed to carry, that they were not designed to live with? Have you inadvertently, just because of the nature and the speed of life and you didn't know any better, is there somebody you love who's carrying around the weight, the expectations of your hopes, dreams, and desires? What's in your box? And have you handed it off to somebody else to carry.